walking and running, and it was nice. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Uh, last week we began uh, a series on the life of Moses, and all we did last week uh, was looked at Hebrews and how it talked about the faith of Moses. I was really kind of putting off the study for another week to try to dig into this to get started uh, by doing that message because I really just want to take my time and getting started in this and study a little more. Um, so technically this is probably the beginning of it, uh, but actually we're still not going to get into the life of Moses. It's more like an introduction. And so uh, tonight's message, we're going to read through Exodus chapter 1, and this message will be entitled Getting Ready for Moses. Getting Ready for Moses. Um, in A.W. Pink's book, uh, Gleanings in Genesis, I don't know why it was in Gleanings in Genesis and not Gleanings in Exodus, but uh, he gave a comprehensive list of how Moses and Jesus were similar. And he listed out 75 similarities. I'm not going to read them tonight. Uh, but 75 similarities uh, between Moses and Christ. And you know, after looking at this over the last several weeks, I have come to the conclusion that there's really no other greater picture of the person of Christ in the Old Testament than Moses himself, uh, so far as persons go. I know the tabernacle, temple, all those things picture Christ, but so far as individuals, there's no more com greater comparisons than that, I think, of Moses. Uh, but let's uh, read Exodus chapter 1. This lays the backdrop, the background of what's taking place before Moses shows up. I think it's important. I think it will uh, speak to us tonight as believers today. Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Nestali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, in all manner of service, in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. 
and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask for your help tonight as we come to this portion of the word. As we try to lay a little bit of a backdrop, uh, Lord, for uh, the culture, the setting, uh, before Moses shows up on the scene. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a blessing and an encouragement uh, for we, your people, here tonight. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to see Christ clearly this evening through the Word of God. Father, I pray that you'd help us in this study of the life of Moses, that, Lord, that we would become fam more familiar with him, of his writings, and that we would see that his writings point to Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. All right, like I said in our first lesson on Moses, we looked more at the faith of Moses and brought out a few of those things from Hebrews. Uh, but before we get ready to deal with the life of Moses, and like I said, it will take us a good while. Um, he lived a long time, 120 years. But his life was really broken up in, in three major sections. It's until uh, till he's 40 years old, he was with uh, Pharaoh's daughter. The next 40 years, he's... He's kind of in limbo, if you would. He's with the Gentiles, and he's run out of uh, Egypt. And in the last 40 years, he's come back, and he delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, but we're not going to look in this study. We're not going to look at everything about uh, Gen or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're not going to study the law. This is going to be uh, a study of the life of Moses. And so we're going to jump around Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just try to chronologically uh, follow the life of Moses in, in those books. Um, but one thing we want to make sure is that not only do we see the, the faith of Moses, but we want to see uh, the life of Moses and see Jesus through the life of Moses. I'm most certain that, that if we come to the Word of God as we ought, that what we should see more than anything as we study the life of Moses is we should see Jesus. That's who he would want us to see. That's who he would want us to see. And oftentimes we come to the Old Testament, we read through it for a while, and we forget that Christ is laced all through the Old Testament and all of it pointed to him. You know, Jesus had this to say to uh, the Pharisees concerning Moses. He said, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So the life of Moses, as we look at his life, should point to Christ. Now as we do this study of the life of Moses and we look at these various books of the Bible, uh, we are going to study his life out. And if we properly study his life out, this man this named Moses, this man that, that God used to, to bring uh, the law to the nation of Israel, uh, this man, when properly looked, properly looked like, should point us to Jesus Christ. I mean, the law is supposed to point us to Christ, correct? We find that in the book of Galatians. It says 
uh, that, the, that the law is our schoolmaster, what? To point us or to lead us unto Christ. Well, should not Moses, the man by whom God gave that law, should not his life as well point us to Christ? And should that not be the example that we should live by? That our life should always point to Jesus. And so as we look at Moses and we see his life point to Christ, let us likewise make sure that our life points to Jesus Christ. Because that's what it's all about. It is all about Him. And so a right study of the life of Moses should lead to setting Christ before us in this series. Now let us now see some things regarding the condition of the times before Moses showed up. Now, and we will see that what was happening is that the people of Israel were being made ready for Moses. And that's really going to be the main thought through this. The children of Israel were being made ready for Moses, the man that God would use to deliver them from Egypt. <laughs> if you have a spiritual mind at all, been a Christian any time at all, read the Word of God, know anything about it, unless you're just a new believer and unfamiliar, that should, always, that should already ring some bells with you, shouldn't it? Now, so let's think about these conditions before Moses shows up. Now, as we read here in Exodus chapter 1, Joseph has died. Joseph has died. The children of Israel have now greatly multiplied in Egypt. And now a new king is in power who did not know Joseph. Now Joseph also is a wonderful type of Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful type of Jesus Christ. And so this new king did not know Joseph. It's an intimate word, know there. So this new king did not know Joseph. Joseph is another great type of Jesus Christ. And because he did not know Joseph, we find that he is hard on the children of Israel. Now Joseph, of course, as that good type of Jesus, and this new king did not know him, and now because this new king did not know him, we find that he is harsh to the people of God. You know, anytime we have those in authority who do not know our Joseph, our Jesus, they will see the people of God as a threat to them. That's exactly what happened then. They didn't, he did not know Joseph. We have those in authority that do not know our Joseph, uh, Jesus, if you would. And boy, did, they treat the people, did he treat the people of God severely. Now this new king was concerned. He's fearful. He's fearful. And I think it's a, a good thing to consider this, and I'd read some on this this week I thought was really good, just to make you think. A lot of times people even though we know we're not trying to do bad things, okay, sometimes people are just fearful of Christians. They're just fearful. Uh, we find here that the king is fearful of the nation of Israel. He sees that they're multiplying. He thinks, boy, their influence, their power, they may turn on us. And so it is fear oftentimes that drives people around us to actually hate or want to hurt Christians. That's the way it was then with God's people, Israel. I think that's the way it is today. This new king is concerned, fearful, that the children of Israel would turn on Egypt. So he hatches a plan to put them to hard labor. He, 
It comes in phases, the persecution towards them did. And the first phase was, let's just work these people really hard. Let's oppress them, and let's just use them to build some cities. Let's make them slaves, and let's use them to make some cities. And so they appointed taskmasters, uh, people who would place heavy burdens upon them, and they built cities for Pharaoh, two cities that are listed there. But in the midst of all of this, we find that the Word of God says that the children of Israel still multiplied and grew. You know, in the New Testament, this is, this is the same way it was with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the persecution came and hard times came, you know what it says, the Word of God multiplied and grew. It did not keep the people of God down. And that's the way it's been throughout all of history. Anytime uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or Christians have been persecuted by the world, it has not stuffed, snuffed them out. It hasn't worked that way. They've actually grew stronger and multiplied even more, history would prove. Now, however, it, it does seem underneath all of this oppression, here's something to take notice of. Is it seems it takes a good while before the children of Israel underneath this oppressive state before they finally come to call out upon the Lord. Now, it's really, it's really hard to understand this when, when you read this, exactly when they did. But in Exodus chapter 2, in the last few verses there, it says in verse 23, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. So is that the next king, the king that we just read about? He died, so... Or just a summary of what has taken place. It's a really it's a debate back and forth. But but it appears to me that it's possible that the children of Israel went many years underneath this sort of bondage and slavery before they really got tired of it and called upon the Lord. But that happened throughout Israel's history, didn't it? You go on and read through their history, many times they would go for many years before they'd finally call upon the Lord. But it says, now it happened in the process of time, and that's chapter 2, verse 23, the king of Egypt died, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So maybe this is kind of reciting the fact of what happened you know, before, and then God works on sending Moses. So it says, so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So I'm really uncertain here exactly how long the children of Israel was in this oppressive state before they finally called upon God. And you know, it's that way in the Christian life sometimes too. It seems like we can, God brings things in our life, and it can be hard and rough, and it seems like it takes us a while before we finally realize, you know what? We need the Lord. We need the Lord. And it seems like it may have taken them a while before they finally called out. Moses uh, is born sometime in this length of time here in Exodus chapter 2, and he may have been alive 40 to 80 years before they even called upon the Lord. And this oppression is going on already. And so sometimes it takes us a while before we are tired of this world and before we groan for deliverance. The children of Israel were not made for the land of Egypt to stay there. God has, had made them a people for Himself, and they were not made or fashioned to fit into Egypt. Egypt was not their country, and Egypt was not their home. These people were made for Canaan. These people were made 
for the promised land. And likewise, right, this world, our Egypt, this is not our home. I'm not made for this place. As a child of God, you are not made for this place. You are made for another country. Now the more that Egypt, here's what happened, the more that Egypt became hostile toward Israel, the more that Israel would want to leave Egypt. They were fine in Egypt for some time. How long have they been there before they leave? 400 years. They got real comfortable in Egypt. They prospered, they grow, and for a great period of time, they weren't under slavery. Let me tell you what, the first 100, 200 years, they had really no reason to leave. They were doing fine. Egypt was treating them fine. Egypt kind of kept to themselves, and they kept to themselves. Israel did. They growed, they prospered, they multiplied. Things were going fine for a very long time. So before Israel could be ready, listen, before Israel could be ready to accept the deliverer, Moses, they would need to want deliverance from Egypt. If, Egypt, if Moses shows up on the scene and things are still going great, there's no evil taskmasters, there's, there's no oppression from Egypt, there's no oppression from the king, Moses comes and shows up and says, hey, I'm here to deliver you from Egypt. Moses, they're going to be like, Why? We're doing just fine. Things are great. Egypt is kind of leaving us alone. We're prospering. Things are well. And folks, that's exactly what happens to us. In prosperity, in being comfortable, in this world, we forget we're not made for it, and we forget that we need to be looking for our deliverer, Jesus Christ. And sometimes God has to shake things up a little bit to make us uncomfortable in this world so that we will cry and groan out for Him. As we get closer to the coming of Jesus, our, who is our great deliverer, our salvation, we will no doubt see this world become even more hostile towards God and His people and His Word. The Word of God teaches us that in the last times it'll be perilous or dangerous times. That iniquity will abound, and men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. This world, our, our, our Egypt, is not friendly towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we live in it and the worse that it gets, it makes our hearts grow weary, tired, and we feel very displaced, like we do not belong, for we are in this world and not of this world. The Lord is preparing us. The Lord is working on us to prepare us to leave Egypt. And I think He does that. I think He's going to be doing that with a lot of people before He actually comes back. But does not he, we see that same process happen with the child of God? Oftentimes, as they're preparing to leave this earth, they feel very displaced. And the Lord makes them very uncomfortable in this world. And they are ready to leave it. You see, God was preparing His people, Israel, to want to flee Egypt. He was preparing them to want that. He's like the mother eagle who makes the nest uncomfortable so that the eagle will jump out on its own from the nest and fly. That's exactly what he's doing with the nation of Israel. He is, he is making the nest uncomfortable, their world uncomfortable, so that they will say, we need to jump out of here. And that's exactly what they were wanting to do. 
So long as things were great and wonderful, Egypt, they would never want to leave it. You see, the time of their departure was coming, so they needed to be made ready for that departure by wanting it. And so long as things were great and wonderful in Egypt, they wouldn't want it. Folks, we've got to be mindful of this mindset and what we see with the nation of Israel. That when things are easy and comfortable in this world, we are tempted to not to be looking for our deliverer. We get too comfortable in the world. Now, all of this, of course, was, was part of God's plan, this whole thing. Joseph going to Egypt, part of God's plan. Then Jacob, or Israel, and all of his family going to Egypt, part of God's plan. And then 400 years later, God had this perfectly planned out a long time ago. 400 years later, God would bring them out. God said this to Abraham long before Exodus. God said this to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14. To Abraham, he said, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So this was prophesied, foretold of the Lord, planned of the Lord. So one of the things I think is, is good to ask is why did God do this in the first place? I mean, there's a lot of reasons we can say, a lot of things that came out of this that was positive that the Lord brought. I mean, we have the miracles. I mean, we have the plagues. I mean, it shows the power of God, all of those things. But why would God have this people there in Egypt in the first place? What are some of the main purposes? Well, I think, like I said, I think there's many reasons, but I think one of those reasons would no doubt be that the children of Israel may grow up as one without being intermingled with the rest of the world. You see, Egypt was very proud people, very proud people. They did not want to intermingle in marriages with the Jews. This was actually to the benefit of the nation of Israel. Israel, so long as they were staying in Canaan, which they, God had not given it to them yet to, to actually possess it, there was already a problem taking place. They were intermingling with the heathen nations and willing to marry their daughters off unto others. Now, and so here's something that, that is very beneficial in all of this is because they are now at, the, at, at Egypt and kind of had their own partial of land there, they were able to grow as one nation in one place without the intermingling of all the different uh, idolatrous face of the world at that time. And so being in Egypt actually helped them to become a more separate people from the world. As I said, Egypt was a, was a place that, that did not like to intermingle in their marriages because uh, they were very proud. People did not want to uh, mess up the bloodline, if you would. Uh, and, and so they would not want to intermingle with uh, the Jews. You know, the more that the world hates Jesus and the more it becomes dark and hostile toward Christ and His people, the people of God should become closer together. We should become more one. 
Because the line is becoming very apparent now. As things get worse in the world, know this, that God our Father is getting ready to send our Deliverer. Now, I find it very interesting that the Bible, as I said, does not record the Jews crying out to God for help until after, listen to this, this I love this, they did not cry out to God until after the Jews actually rejected Moses the first time. Remember Moses is there and he sees what's happening to uh, his brethren, the Jews, and he thinks, boy, God's going to use him right then. And they say, uh-uh, basically, who are you to come down here to us? And we've seen what you did yet the day before whenever you killed that Egyptian. And he's like, uh-oh, words out. What's Moses do? Where's Moses go? He leaves. What does Moses do? He flees Egypt because re the Jews rejected Moses. And what does Moses do? He goes and he gets himself a Gentile bride. Likewise, Israel rejected Jesus the first time. And now Jesus is collecting his Gentile bride, not meaning that no Jews are saved, some Jews are saved, but for the most part, collecting his Gentile bride. And listen, and things right now, <laughs> while the deliverer is waiting to come back, things are only growing worse and worse for the nation of Israel. But I believe the Lord is getting ready to come back. He's getting ready to come back. They rejected Him the first time. Let me tell you what. But He's getting them, the Lord is getting them ready right now to receive Him the second time. I'm a firm believer that God has a remnant in Israel still today. Now very quickly, the response of the midwives. The midwives are told to kill the sons born to the Jews. So first of all, they tried hard labor. That didn't work for them. And so now let's try a little bit of underhandedness and let's get the midwives to just kind of casually kill the milk kids. Because that's what they really ask them. You look at the language. It wasn't going to be out in the open. You're like, when you show up and it's a boy, I don't know, you might have gave instructions on how to kill them in such a way so that they wouldn't know. That's the way it reads. And, uh, and so they say, well, they're just alive when we show up. We can't help it, you know. Um, so maybe it was the, the thought was to choke the life out of the male child at birth so it would seem like the child just died at birth. So, so the, hostili the hostility, the hatred, the fear of the Jews, all of this is growing. The persecution is stepping up. Now it's not just hard labor. It's an attack. It's an attack on the male children. Folks, our children are being attacked like they never have before in our country. More and more, the world is attacking our children. Biblical manhood is toxic and considered wrong. There's definitely an attack on men in order to destroy the Christian influence and to keep it from growing. But the midwives, Gentiles, feared God and they would not turn, they would not turn on the Jews. Likewise, we should be true. They would not do what Pharaoh wanted them to do. And we too need to fear God and not man. And we need to seek to save our children alive and to raise them for Jesus. We must protect our boys and girls and teach them what it means to be a boy and a girl. Pharaoh was upset. His plan did not work because the midwives did not succeed in his mind. I think he must have believed them. 
as they said. And so, well, that's not working. And so now he just comes out with an all-out front. Forget the midwives. Let's just, it's a, now it's an open thing. And it's not sneaky, underhanded through the midwives. Now all of the male children are to be killed. So he comes out in the open and commands all the boys to be killed among the Jews. Does this not sound familiar to us? <laughs> I mean, what happened when the time of our deliverer, when he first showed up on this earth? What was taking place? There was another king that was afraid. There was another king that was afraid of another king that he'd heard about, the king of the Jews. And so he does what? He commands that what? All the male children, two years old and under, are to be killed. So you can really see already, just through Moses, before he even shows up, <laughs> there's a lot happening to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we too, though, live in a time that the murdering of children is at an all-time high. You know, oftentimes we think about abortion in this country, and we've killed over like 62 million in this country in the 70s, but we're not the only ones doing it. And this, this year alone, this year alone, as of March the 1st, 2024, an estimated of over 7 million abortions have happened already this year. 7 million. We're on pace to kill 42 million babies in the womb worldwide in one year alone. So yes, America has killed over 60-some million kids, but the world will kill 42 million this year. And that's been happening for several years. It's time for our deliverer to come. I'm looking forward to that. As the people of God, we should not accept this murder of children and we should, we should not grow comfortable with it being done. And let us, as the midwives, seek to protect life. And God rewarded them for protecting life, didn't He? We read that in the, in the passage. And I think He rewards us and blesses us when we seek to protect life. And as the world and government becomes more open and hostile, we must make sure that, that we obey God first. We must learn to respect government, but at the same time, when government goes against God, we must stand with God. I want to bring some things to a close here for, very shortly. Let us ask ourselves as children of God, are we groaning more and more for the coming deliverer? Are we groaning for that? Is there not a growing reality in our soul that we were not made for this world? We, we, should, we should feel more like that all the time. Are we not becoming more aware that we are only strangers here and we are pilgrims passing through? We should not like how bad the world is getting, but at the same time, the effect it should have upon us should be a positive effect in that we as a people of God should grow stronger and multiply and we should be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, our Deliverer, more and more. See, I think that the persecution that may come upon God's people in this country, it's already happening everywhere else in the world, but the persecution that may come upon God's people in this world should do nothing else but then to, then to make us look more and more for our Deliverer to save us. 
You see, Israel was made ready for Moses. Israel was made ready for Moses. We too, I believe this with all of my heart, we too are currently being made ready for Jesus. We need to want Him. We need to be tired of this world. We need to groan. We don't need to be comfortable with this world and what it's doing, its ideologies. We don't need to be comfortable with this world at all. It is not our home. We're in it, but not of it. His Holy Spirit resides within us. And it's groaning, it's longing for the coming of Jesus Christ. God told Moses this. He said this. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I have no doubt that similar words may one day be spoken from the Father to the Son when He's going to say, Son, I've heard the groaning of my people in the world. And now it is time. It's time to go. Romans 8.23 says, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. One of the signs of being born again and having the Spirit of God within us is there is a groaning, a longing within us that is looking for the new body, looking for our deliverer, looking for and waiting for the new home. And so that's why we often cry out as a people of God, even so come, Lord Jesus, even so come. May God help us to long and groan for our deliverer. He's coming, and the Lord is making us ready. Let's pray. Father in heaven, use this word tonight to be a blessing and encouragement to your people. And I pray, Lord, that we tonight would be looking for and longing for the coming of Jesus. Father, I know that there are some here tonight that have never repented of their sins and have never looked to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that they know nothing in regards to that loaning and groaning to uh, be with you forever and to be out of this sinful world. But Father, I pray that even tonight that you would draw them into yourself and cause them to see Christ who died on the cross for sinners, that you would plant new life within them and grant them faith and repentance in the Lamb of God and that they too would join the ranks of your people by your wonderful grace and that they too would be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We pray for your beloved nation that you've chosen upon this earth that one day soon they would be saved. Your word promises that and I believe that and I pray that we would see it very shortly. Even so come Lord Jesus. Make us ready for your return. In Christ's name we pray and amen.